welcome to the Highway Church Podcast. We're excited that you would join us today and hope you're encouraged by the message you hear. If you'd like to know more, visit our website, highway.com.au. This is actually a real honour. We've been admiring Byron and Anne for many, many, many years. And so this is an honour to be on their platform. And I definitely don't take it lightly. And so um, thank you, all the team. It's been so good getting to know all the team and all the church. And uh, it's been great. We've been here since about January. And um, yeah, loving it. This is a great church. I know in your heart you believe it. (laughs) Yeah, this is great, and um, this is such an honor. So I'm here tonight, my family are here, which is nice, isn't it, rent a crowd? That's good. Um, So my my three kids, um, there's one here, two there, and a um, girlfriend. (laughs) Yeah, I know, that was... Anyway, um, so, and then my husband, who we've been, we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary in March this year. I know, that deserves a massive round of applause. Um, 25 years is a pretty good stint. Um, but to be honest, we, we do have some tension in our marriage. Um, you know, sometimes we'll be sitting there and... Um, Artie's a really, really efficient person. Like, he gets so much done in a day. He's just constantly on the move. He's constantly got 10,000 things on the go at once. And often he'll walk through the house and all of us will stop and turn and and wonder what's happened. Is there a fire? Has something smashed? Is something wrong? Because he literally walks through the house like this because he's always on a mission. And I'm the complete opposite. I like to do everything quite at my own pace. I like to smell the roses. I like to take my time. I'm the one who will observe everything going on around me. I'm more about the journey, you know, than the destination. Do I have any friends? Yeah, it's nice, hey? Well, I'm married to an efficient person, and so sometimes we'll sit there and we'll be having dinner maybe or just sitting across the table from one another and you know, I'm talking and we're having a, a chat and, and then he gets this look in his eye and it's like, I, I know that look and he knows that look and I look at him and he looks at me and I keep going with my story and, and then he's got that little glimmer in his eye. I reckon most wives know what this glimmer means and then he'll look at me and I'll look at him and then he'll be thinking, surely there's a shorter way of telling this story than going right around the mountain. Does any wives in the house know about that? Actually, I told this story once and someone came up to me with five marriage book recommendations. (laughs) But you know, sometimes I'll say something, he'll come into a room and he'll ask me a question and as I'm answering, he's gone. And I have to yell out, I'm not finished. I don't know, like, if you've ever been out for dinner somewhere, and I often feel, because clearly I do things at a slower pace, and so I'm usually the last one finished my meal, and I I feel the waitresses hovering, or the waiters hovering around the table, and it's like they're waiting for that last bite for them to come and take your, your plate. In fact, I've had somebody take my plate as I'm lifting the last bite to my mouth, and I feel like turning around and saying, I'm not finished. 
Don't eat dinner with me if you're a eat and leave kind of person. I'm like a linger, dinner time takes a long time. If I'm gonna prepare a meal, we're gonna sit there and we're gonna talk and we're gonna linger and we're gonna eat for hours. <laughs> but often I'm, I'm saying to myself, but I'm not finished. You know, I reckon there are two types of people in this world. There are finishers and there are starters. I'm a finisher. I don't like starting something unless I know I'm gonna finish it. You know, those people when you've got a to-do list and it's so good, isn't it? When you write everything on a to-do list and then you get to tick it off because you've finished it. The sense of accomplishment is awesome. Sometimes I'll do things and then write them on the to-do list just so that I can tick them off and say that I've done them. But one thing I've noticed about being like that is that sometimes if, as, as we look across our life, we can look across it as a list of to-do things, a list of to-dos. And maybe even in our spiritual life, we can look across and we can see things that have been believed for, then they've been attained or they've been a miracle's happened and then we move on to the next thing. You know, when I was uh, young, my parents who didn't know Jesus divorced. And um, as a child, and as most children would probably do, when parents divorce, I prayed every single night that my mum and dad would remarry each other again. Every night I would pray, God, please do something. Please do a miracle. I want them to get remarried again. And in the course of the years of them being legally divorced, um, they both found Jesus. And they both, separate from each other, felt like God said to them, you need to rebuild your family. And so they remarried each other again. And so as a child, yeah, that you can give God a round of applause for that, because it's no small thing. <laughs> and so I was like, great, believe in God for this. God did this, tick, onto the next thing. When I was a teenager, I remember sitting in a doctor's office and the doctor saying to me, you're probably never going to be able to have children. And if you try, it is going to be quite a heartbreaking process. So I recommend you probably don't go down that path unless, unless you're prepared for that. And I remember at the time just, no, nah, no, nah, I'm believing God for this. I'm believing God. I've got a passion in my heart to have children. I've got a dream in my heart to have an awesome family. So no, nah, I'm believing God for that. And then as you see, we've got three awesome children, an awesome family. And so it's believe God for that. Saw God do it. Tick. Amen. Let's move on to the next thing. You know, when we were first married, I remember Artie sitting me down. Actually, it was while we were engaged. And he said to me, look, I'm a pastor, we're going into the ministry, we're probably never gonna have anything. <laughs> That's so romantic, isn't it? At least he did it in a romantic place. We were by the water and I was thinking he was gonna tell me something amazing and, and then he drops this bomb on me. <laughs> but you know, I didn't mind because I knew in my heart we were meant to be together and we wanted to pursue God and all that he had for us. And so that's what we did. And, um, you know, not even really thinking or feeling gutted about that. Um, one day a person in our church came up to us and said, I want to bless you with the deposit for a house. And so paid a deposit for our first block of land so we could build the house that we wanted. Believed God, prayed about it, tick, amen, answered. But what about the times where 
we're in that moment where we haven't yet got the tick? What about where we believe in God for something or we feel like there's a dream in our heart for something, but we haven't yet seen it happen? We haven't yet been able to put a tick next to that thing. What do we do in those moments? Maybe right now. In fact, I would encourage all of us to be in that moment. I don't believe that God's ever done. There's always more for each one of us. And maybe you're sitting here tonight going, hey, I can't really think of anything. I'm pretty good. Life's pretty good. Family's pretty good. House is pretty good. Stuff's pretty good. Try over the course of the next few minutes to think of something because we're going to believe together tonight to see miracles happen. Amen? So what about the dreams and the visions that you feel like God's put in your heart but you're not yet seeing? What if it's taken longer than you thought? What if we're thinking You know, the disappointment, the constant praying, the constant believing, it's actually wearing you down. And you've started to think, you know what, maybe I got it wrong. Maybe that's not for me. Maybe God didn't say that. Maybe God doesn't want to do that in my life. Maybe that's something that I thought he could do, but maybe he doesn't want to do it. I'm here to tell you tonight, God is not finished. God is not finished. If you have not seen your miracle, God is not finished. You know, our world is obsessed with comfort. Everything's about our comfort, about feeling good, about avoiding pain. It's so tempting to want to live a life where we avoid pain, where we avoid disappointment, where we avoid waiting, where we avoid trying and and not succeeding, where we avoid putting ourselves out there. But this is the exact place where perseverance is perfected, Faith is forged and resilience is realized. We actually have to go through these moments for us to realize who we are in God and who God is in our lives. So we're going to have a look tonight at a passage of scripture that I absolutely love. And if you've got your Bible with you, you can open it to Ezekiel 37. I'm at a stage of life where I'm putting on my glasses to read this because I didn't used to and then I'd mess everything up. So here we go. (laughs) How good's that? So this is actually um, a passage where Ezekiel got a vision from God and it's it's a vision for God's plan to restore Israel. But I believe tonight that we can take principles from here, encouragement from here for our own life on what God wants to rebuild or restore in our own lives. So stay with me as we read this together. This is a vision. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. 
As I prophesied, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them. Skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, breath entered them, they came to life, stood up on their feet, a vast army." I love this because the first thing that Ezekiel had to do was he had to visualize. He had to visualize these bones coming together. God said to him, can you see it? Can you visualize it? Are you able to see these dry bones? They weren't just bones, they were dry bones. Dry bones signifies they'd been dead for a long time. So there wasn't a lot of life here in this valley. And yet God's saying, can you see it? Can you see life here? Among the dead, can you see life coming together? Among these dead things in your life tonight, can you see life? Can you see life in that dead, maybe marriage? Can you see life in that dead business? Can you see life in that dead relationship? In that dream that's in your heart, can you see God bringing that back together for you tonight? And I love the imagery of this because he's, he walked back and forward. So Ezekiel's walking up and down the valley and he's walking along and he's seeing, all he's seeing is death. All he's seeing is dry. All he's seeing is lost hope. And God's saying to him, visualize it. Start to visualize it. Start to see me doing something new in your life tonight. The, the imagery of that is so beautiful because... I don't know about you, but sometimes we just have to walk in. Maybe you're walking into, I don't know, maybe you've got a child who's not behaving the way that you had imagined they'd be behaving at this stage of their life. And maybe they're away from God or maybe they're making choices that you know are so destructive. And maybe when you go to put the washing away and you walk into their room, you're walking into that valley and you're seeing a different child. You're seeing a different circumstance. You're seeing God breathe into this situation. Maybe tomorrow when you walk into work or maybe into uni or wherever you're heading, into in the next couple of weeks. Maybe rather than seeing this desolate place where things haven't gone the way that you thought, maybe people aren't treating you the way that they should, maybe your business isn't going the way that it should, walking in there and seeing God breathe life into that situation. We've got to visualize it. I don't know if you've ever heard someone come back from somewhere amazing, but they always say you've got to see it to believe it. Well, I believe we've got to believe it to see it. You've got to believe that God is willing and able to do something new in your life. You know, it's not wishful thinking. You're visualizing, thinking, picturing. You know, they're all words that people use in a very um, worldly way. But these are things that are from the Word of God. And in fact, when we're visualizing or when we're bringing out the Word of God and we're seeing things the way that God would have us see it, it's not seeing things in a worldly way, it's seeing things in a godly way. Because our world would try and tell us that things are, are, are gone, things are dead, things aren't going to be resurrected. But God wants to say tonight, He wants to resurrect it. He wants to breathe new life 
into it. You know, the next thing that God told Ezekiel to do was to verbalize. To verbalize it. Our words have so much power. So much power. When Artie and I were dating and we weren't yet engaged, we made a decision that we weren't going to say I love you until we were getting engaged. It was just a choice we made because it changes your relationship. It's not just, this is a commitment that we're making. I don't want to throw my love away. I don't want to be like, I love you, and then if we break up, oh, I love you, and then if we break up, oh, I love you. I wanted my love to mean something and to have something behind it that was actually for the rest of our lives. And so the choice we made was that until we pledged our lives to each other, we wouldn't say, I love you, because words have power. When I was in year four, I told my whole school class that my dad owned a bubblegum factory. I don't know why I did this, because my dad was a scientist. Like, that's a way cooler job than having a bubblegum factory, but for some reason, I decided to tell my whole class that my dad had a bubblegum factory. Words have power, because I then, to back up my lie, had to buy the whole class bubblegum with all of my pocket money. There are consequences to your words. <laughs> They're sometimes not very good. But what about the power of saying sorry? It can completely restore a relationship. What about the power of saying someone's name? They say that the most important word in the world to a person is their name because it connects them to their individuality and their identity. People feel seen and known when you remember their name. What about the power of encouragement? I'm sure if you thought across your life, you can think about all the people that have encouraged you. They, they spring to mind. I can think about the people, they stand out in my memories as people who have encouraged me, who have spoken life into me. But what about the opposite? The people who have been negative? What about the people who haven't spoken life? We can also recall them. You know, it's said that power of speaking encouragement to a child actually affects the development mental part of the brain that controls the emotional response and behavior. It's also the part that affects how you perceive yourself. So who you perceive yourself to be. The power of encouragement actually changes people's belief systems. It actually cha it can change generational lines when we have young people or people of any age, really, who have a different belief system. Our spoken words carry enormous power. Proverbs 18.21 says that the tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. We have the power to change an atmosphere. We have the power to change a relationship status. We have the power to change the way people feel valued by us. We have the power to change how we feel about ourselves. From the beginning in Genesis, when God created, he created by his spoken word. You know, if we flick through Genesis and look at the, starts, the starting sentence of each of the few verses, verse three, God said, let there be light. 
Verse 6, God said, let there be expanse between the waters to separate the water from the water. Verse 9, God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. Then in verse 11, God said, let the land produce vegetation. It goes on and on. God said, let, the, that, let there be light in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark seasons, days, and years. Verse 20, and God said, let the water team and living creatures, of, let the birds fly. It goes on and on and on and on. God said, God said, God said, God said, God created by his spoken word. Words have power. And then God tells us to speak his word. He tells us to speak it out. He tells us to confess the power of his word. To confess his power over our situations. See, God located Ezekiel's faith by asking. He asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? He needed Ezekiel to answer the question, God knew what he thought. God knew what he wanted Ezekiel to say. God knew what he wanted to show Ezekiel, but he needed Ezekiel to speak and confess out the power of God. In Mark 10, 51 to 52, Jesus asked the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? If you asked a blind man what you wanted God to do for him, I think it would be pretty obvious, but God wanted to locate his faith by asking him the question. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. In Matthew 9, 28 to 29, when Jesus had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. He asked them a question, their, what they, their, what do you call it? Confession <laughs> is what healed them and set them free. John 5, 6, Jesus heals an invalid man who had been in the condition for a long time, but first he asks him, do you want to be well? God's locating our faith tonight by asking us the same question. Do you believe I can do it? Do you believe my power is enough? Do you believe that the dream that I put in your heart that you haven't yet seen? Do you believe that the child that's away from God? Do you believe that the business is not going well? Do you believe the person with cancer, the person who needs healing? Do you believe that I can do it tonight? And that's the question he's asking every single one of us. The next thing that God did was he asked was to tell Ezekiel to prophesy, to prophesy, to declare God's word. You know, we talk about prophecy, and, and maybe this is a, a different word for you. Maybe you've never really heard prophecy explained, and it can seem quite a heavy topic, quite a big thing to understand and wrap your head around. And there are different parts of prophecy that are reserved for certain people who have been gifted with that. But all of us, all of us have the ability to speak the word of God. And that at the heart of it is what prophecy is. 
All of us have the ability to speak the word of God over our own situation, over our own lives, to start to declare what the word of God says about you, about your situation, about your family. In Isaiah 55, 11, it says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. When we speak the word of God, it accomplishes what God sent it to do. It restores, it redeems, it renews. It reminds us of his power. It reminds us of his truth. And it reminds us of his authority. And because it's his authority and he lives within us, it's our authority. We have the ability to take authority over things in our life. You have the ability to speak the word of God over things and see them turn around. I wonder what you're talking about. And I know how easy it is. It's so easy to talk about things in the way that you see them, in the natural. It's so hard. It's not working. The world's against me. The world is this. The world is that. The financial climate, the health climate, the government, the this, the that. It's so easy to get caught up in that. But when we speak the word of God with the authority of God, things change. And the third thing, and the team can come, how good is Rachel, by the way? That, I did not know that was your first time worship leading, wherever she's gone. What? She was so good. And she's about to be amazing in a minute because, um, anyway, you'll see. Um, number three, the third thing was ventilate. The third thing that God did in that valley was he breathed on it. He breathed on the situation. In Genesis 2 verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. We are the only thing in creation, the only part of creation that God breathed his own breath into because he wanted, he wants an intimate relationship with us. We are not just animals. We are not just creation. We are not just matter. We are not just formed of the earth. We are God's creation, his workmanship that he looked at and breathed his life into, his spirit into because it's the Ruach breath of God, the same breath that He breathed into us at creation, that He breathes across us today, that He fills us with His Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that He fills us with. The Holy Spirit who leads and directs, speaks in and through us to release power, to anoint us, minister truth to us, comfort us, help us, strengthen us, direct and guide us. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And it's the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It dwells within us 
And so when we're feeling defeated, when we're feeling discouraged, when we're feeling like everything's against us, when we're feeling like those dreams are never gonna come to pass, we have the same Spirit that literally raised Jesus Christ from the dead, dwelling and living within us. We have the authority of the Word of God that we can stand on. We have so much at our fingertips to do life in such an authoritative way. It was His breath of life that He breathed into us. And this is what takes it from positive speaking to actually speaking the Word of God. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life, I feel like I've suffocated things, squeezed the life out of them with my worry, with my control, with anxiety, because I'm totally trying to hold it. I'm totally trying to control it. I'm totally trying to hold all this together. I'm trying to make my kid a better kid. I'm trying to make my marriage a better marriage. I'm trying to make my business a better business. And I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. But God's saying tonight, could you just let it breathe? Just let me breathe on it. I'll breathe my breath of life into it. If it's not done, God's not finished. And I can honestly say that with 100% conviction tonight. If what you're believing for is in line with the Word of God, in line with the will of God, then if it's not done, He is not finished. You know, we can't, we can't ask God for stuff that's outside of the will of God and outside of the Word of God. Like, you know, that's crazy. But if we're in line with what He has for our life, I can tell you with all conviction tonight, whatever you're believing for, if it's not done, God's not finished. Let God breathe on it. And you know, the reason I can have such strong conviction that if it's not done, He's not finished is because these things that God does and these miracles that He displays and the healing and the provision and all the things that I talked about before that have happened in my own life. They're not just things that God does. They're not just things that God decides to do for one person and perhaps not the other. They're not just things that He does if you're a good person or if you're serving God with your whole life or if you're working in a particular job or if you're a young person or if you're an older person. This is who He is. And the Bible talks about the names of God. And they're not just names that have been given to Him, they are who He is. It is His nature. He cannot help but do these things. He is El Roy, the God who sees me. He is Jehovah Rapha, He is my healer. He is Jehovah Shalom, my peace. He is Jehovah Rohi, the Lord, my shepherd. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who will provide. They're not just names given to, it's Him, it's His nature. He cannot help but be these things to you. If you feel overlooked, God's saying, I'm not finished. If you're not healed, God's saying, I'm not finished. If you're anxious and lack peace, God's saying, I'm not finished. If you feel like giving up, He's saying, I'm not finished. If you don't know which way to go, He's saying, I'm not finished. If you need provision tonight, God is saying, I am not finished. If you have loved ones away from Him, He is not finished. 
If you need healing, if you've got friends with cancer, loved ones with cancer, maybe yourself with cancer tonight, that's not too big for God. He is not finished. Speak to these dry bones. Can we stand together tonight, church? And I hope that over the course of these last few minutes that you've been able to think of something that, yeah, God, I've actually, you've almost like brought this back to my remembrance that I'm not walking fully in what you had for my life. I'm not seeing fully the healing. You know, sometimes when you live with certain things, you can get so used to it that you almost are like, yeah, I'm just managing stuff. I'm just managing the symptoms. And, and we forget that, no, it's, if it's not finished, if it's not done, He's not finished. Complete healing work. Amen. And so we're going to prophesy tonight. We're going to prophesy to these dry bones, whatever it is that you're believing God for. We're going to start to speak into that thing tonight. And so Rachel's gonna lead us in a moment, but I want you speak, sing out your own song, sing out your own words, start to declare the Word of God over your situation. Start to speak into what you need God to do for you. If you need provision, if you need healing, if you need wholeness, if you need restoration. You know, remember that this whole vision was God's restorative plan. It was God restoring again. And that's what He wants to do in you tonight, a reimagining of all that He can do in your life. So come on, let's sing this together. And why don't you start to prophesy and declare in your situation. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to get in contact with us or find out more about Highway Church, go to highway.com.au.